Hey, I was working on my message, and I was trying to come up with the most creative title I could find for this sermon today. And this is what I came up with. Check it out. The Sunday Before Easter. You know, I'm kind of a fan of just calling things what they are. I think it's kind of a knee-jerk, or maybe the pendulum tends to swing. Uh, I was a youth pastor back in the 90s and early 2000s when everything was extreme and, you know, just these amazing titles that the hype oftentimes didn't quite live up to the name. So let's just call it what it is. This is the Sunday before Easter. Why? Well, because next Sunday really is the main event. In the story we're going to study today, and honestly, even today. Now listen, if I were going to get creative with a title, I probably would choose something like this. I would call this sermon Directional Velocity. Because we see in the story that we're going to study here in just a minute, Jesus begins something It has its climax, the culminating moment a week later on Easter Sunday. Directional velocity, though, starts today. I want to overlay that with what we're getting ready to step into in our church. Don't miss next Friday, this coming Friday, actually, Good Friday. We're going to offer a very simple um, service, kind of a devotional experience traditional vibe. It'll be down uh, if you walk in door two Friday night. Bring your whole family. Come in door two and just come in and sit down in our student ministry space. We're going to do a good Friday service there then. The next day is, of course, Saturday. And Saturday, we're going to host an Easter egg hunt right out here on the property. And you don't want to miss that, but not just you and your cute kids, but in your neighborhood. I'm guessing there are some other cute kids that live. Would you do me a favor? Do yourself a favor. Do the church a favor. Go and invest and invite them to come and be a part of the fun. We've got a whole bunch of creative strategies, creative invitational tools out here in the lobby. Can I just suggest to you They're not doing anybody any good there. Get those. Take advantage of them. Use those to invest and invite, get somebody to the Easter egg hunt this coming Saturday. Think about your one. Then think about Sunday morning as well. Listen, it's the Super Bowl of church. Statistics and studies tell us that uh, many times somebody will receive an invitation to come and join you on Easter when they wouldn't, maybe a different weekend. So if you've got somebody that you're praying for, you're one, invest and invite. We've got resources, tools for that out there as well. By the way, some of us in this space, our next step of faith might be to be baptized. If that's you, shoot me an email. We would love to connect with you. I can't think of a better time to be baptized than on Easter Sunday morning. Also, we're going to be celebrating with some cool donuts. They tell me we're going to have Ohana's donuts out in the lobby. You don't want to miss that Easter Sunday as well. While you're thinking about your one and investing in them and inviting them, don't miss out on inviting them to come back and join us the following Sunday. We're going to be kicking off a brand new sermon series. We're calling it Room for Doubt. The idea being that questions are not bad. Actually, doubt isn't always bad. There is room for doubt in faith. Sometimes doubt grows our faith. They can bring good questions to that series, and we're going to wrestle with them together. That kicks off the week after Easter. Directional velocity. 
The study, the, the, the passage we're looking at today, Jesus begins something that culminates at the cross and then ultimately Resurrection Sunday. There's directional velocity. There's a lot of Jesus' Passion Week on display in the Psalms. There, there's directional velocity that we find in the passage we're going to read right now together. I'm in Psalm 103. Check this out. He, God, does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. In other words, we don't get what we deserve. He gives us grace. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. You want to understand God's love? Well, how high are the heavens above the earth? Can you measure that? Can you quantify that? Well, not in the mind of the ancient Near East. You couldn't, not quite yet. Great question. Let's keep reading. As far as the east is from the west, so far he re has removed our transgressions, our sins from us. So go ahead and turn to your neighbor. Have this philosophical conversation. I'll give you 30 seconds to answer that philosophical question with authority. How far is the east from the west? Go for it. While you're at it, go ahead and answer this one with authority. If a tree falls in the middle of the forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound? Answer that one. And then move on, if you can, to how can or can an all-powerful God create a rock that is too big for even him to pick up? Go ahead. I'll give you 30 seconds to answer those three questions. How far is the east? from the west. That's a long distance. When you fully grasp the significance and the meaning and the importance of that, then you have grasped the significance and the meaning and the importance of Easter. This is just the Sunday before Easter. Easter Sunday, that's when everything changes. You could divide all of human history in before Easter and after Easter. There's a glitch in the matrix. Jesus launches his earthly ministry a few years before that, and the Pharisees are right about one thing. He is an instigator. He stirs things up. The Sunday before Easter, things are coming to a head. It's just another Sunday. But spoiler alert, something big's going to happen next Sunday. And there's some directional velocity that gets us to that point. We see a movement through the story, a movement, get this, from east to west. How many of you have traveled internationally? How many of you have gotten on the plane and gone across the pond and you've gone multiple time zones and your body clock gets all messed up? I had a conversation this past week. Actually, I took a trip a couple of weeks ago. I didn't go east to west. I went west to, or I, I did, I went east to west. See, I'm, all, I'm still confused. I went to Colorado and uh, to visit a couple of my kiddos and even two hours time zone difference. I got all discombobulated as I was coming back. And I'm having this conversation last week with a gentleman who just got back from the Holy Land. He spent just long enough there, a couple of weeks, for his body clock to begin to adjust, and then he came back. It's like seven hours time zone difference. And we had this interesting conversation, which is more difficult to fly from east to west or west to east. By the way, 
I share part of that with you to let you know I'm excited to announce, I'm hoping to do one of those study tours next year. Several of you have asked me, hey, when will we do another one of those? And I'm planning one for 2024. If you have any interest in taking a couple of weeks and journeying through the Holy Land, you hear me talk an awful lot about this map. The goal would be to take a two-dimensional map, and then when we get there, we turn it into a three-dimensional map. You'll never read the Bible the same way again. If, that, if you have any interest in that, shoot me an email. I'll add you to the list of keeping you up to date on how those, um, that, that's working, gearing up for that when we announce it. We're talking which is more difficult, to travel east to west or west to east? I want to show you a key location of the Sunday before Easter, before we even read the story. Let me put this up on the screen. This is a picture of the Golden Gate, the Eastern Gate of the old city of Jerusalem. They call it the Golden Gate because, as you know, the sun rises in the east, sets in the west. So early in the morning, this whole wall here, this is the wall, the eastern wall of the Temple Mount. Also, the old eastern wall of the city of Jerusalem. And the eastern gate plays a prominent moment in the story we're getting ready to read in just a minute. Jesus rides up to this gate. Well, the sun rises and the whole thing turns golden. It's the eastern gate. Let me show you another picture. That's a current picture. I took that a few years ago on a study tour in Israel. This picture right here will show you this is the current state of the Golden Gate. It's all walled up. It's all closed up. This is the first century. Actually, this is the ground level here. This here is the ground level here in this 3D rendered model. So the gate that Jesus rode through that we're going to read about here in just a minute, well, it's, it's down here. Hold that thought in your mind. I'm in John chapter 12. Let's read this together, beginning with verse 12. It's Palm Sunday. The next day. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival, the whole city is abuzz, it's swelling in numbers, there's a lot of people there, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. By the way, he's coming from the east, moving east to west. They took palm branches, we call today Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, which means, quite literally, pray, save us. Let's keep reading. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat on it. And then the rest of the text, if you were to keep reading it, he rides up through the eastern gate, the golden gate, east side of the city of Jerusalem. Our outline today is found in the text we just read. I want to look at those three crowd-sourced affirmations of Jesus that the crowd on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, shout. All three of them. The first one, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's some questions there we want to wrestle together through. The second one, blessed is the king of Israel. What questions can we find there, and are there some answers to be found as well? Hosanna literally means pray, save us. We're going to unpack that as well. That's our outline today. Let's look at the first one first. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's a question implicit in there. Why, why is Jesus here this Sunday before Easter? Why is he here? 
Why is he on the back of a donkey? Why is he riding into the city? Why are all the people waving palm branches? Everybody's asking the question. The crowd is asking the question, who is he and why is he here? The disciples, I bet they're asking the question as well. Why are we here with him? What's going on? It feels like something is in the air, something is stirring. The religious leaders, those who are standing up on top of the Temple Mount, I just showed you the photo, and they're looking down at the Eastern Gate, and they're watching the crowd and what they're doing. They're asking the question, you better believe they're asking the question, who is he and what's he doing? By the way, two representatives, key representatives from Rome are in town right now. Pontius Pilate, if you know the story, you know he shows up later. King Herod, they're wondering to know, especially this language of king, there's already a king. Who is this guy? Why is he here? As Bible students, we should be asking that question as well. The question, why is Jesus here? There's so much going on. We don't have time to unpack it today. Jesus is playing 3D chess here. You got to go back to the Old Testament to answer some of the question, why is Jesus here? Why is the crowd waving palm branches? Why are they shouting the three phrases that we're going to study today? See if you can see some of those in this text. Psalm 118. Look at the text. Look underneath it. Check this out. Open for me the gates of the righteous. Jesus is getting ready to ride through an eastern gate. By the way, if you were to walk up that gate, you would be up into the temple mount the house of the Lord. Let's keep reading. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous, who's righteous? Jesus is righteous, may enter. Let's keep reading. I will give thanks for you answered me, my God. You have become my big word, salvation. There's a directional velocity this week, east to west, that ends with my salvation, your salvation. If they choose it, the crowd's salvation that's waving palm branches right now. The stone the builders rejected, this is Old Testament, this is Psalm 118. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus has just quoted that passage not long before this in Mark chapter 12 to the same religious leaders that are plotting with Judas... We're going to see that here. It's going to happen. A pivotal conversation is going to happen on Tuesday. Less than a stone's throw from the gate that he's riding through right here. The eastern gate, the golden gate. Let's keep reading. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. So let us rejoice today and be glad. Look at this language. Lord, save us. Pray. Save us. Hosanna. It's right there. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Even that is a curious statement given the geography of the Eastern Gate. Some of this crowd that's shouting this likely just walked down off the Temple Mount. They just left the house of the Lord. There's an answer to the question, why is Jesus here? There's a metaphorical answer. There's also a very literal answer. Here's the answer. He's moving, quite literally, from east to west. He's moving from east to west. Actually, he does this all week long. I've got a map of the ancient city of Jerusalem I want to share with you right now. 
By the way, I know you can't see all the details on that. That's just fine. Really, the only two things you need to, you need to pay attention to on this map is the directional velocity. Let's orient ourselves. This is north, which makes this east, which makes that west. Let me show you the boundaries of the Old Testament or the New Testament city. This wall gets added later. Actually, this wall right here gets added later. The city, the boundaries, when Jesus rides on the back of a donkey into Jerusalem, the eastern gate is about right there. This is the boundary right here. Just like that. Just like that. Actually, they probably added this right before then. Right like that. That's the boundary of the old, the, the old city. On this moment, Jesus is leaving the suburbs, Bethany. He's on the back of a donkey. He's just crested this ridge right here. We know it as the Mount of Olives. There's a saddle in the ridge right about there. He comes across that ridge down into the Kidron Valley. He enters into the city right there. I want to show you through the week how he moves progressively, generally speaking, from east to west. Day one. Triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. Fulfilling all kinds of Old Testament prophecy, including what we just looked at in Psalm 118. How about Zechariah 9, verse 9? Check this out. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. They just walked off of Mount Zion, the crowd, to, to shout Hosanna. Shout, daughters of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. Gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus is fulfilling all kinds of Old Testament prophecy in this moment. The crowd welcomes him by waving palm branches in the air. Let's go back to our map. We don't have him recorded in Scripture any further west than this spot right here. Now, he probably did something, but the Bible does not talk about it. He rides into the city, and as far as we know, he turns around and goes back the same direction and spends the night over here in Bethany. That's Sunday night, Monday morning. Monday morning, they get up, and they walk back into the city, take the same route as before. As they're going on their way, there is another little village right about here, and they come to this spot where they see a fig tree. And the text very clearly says it's not the season for figs, but Jesus, in this moment of cosmic frustration, in my opinion, where God meets man. Jesus looks at that fig, and the text very clearly says it wasn't the season for figs. And I think Jesus looks at that and says, but I, I made it not to be bound by seasons. I made it. Jesus was there, spoke the world into existence when that fig tree's great thousand-time great granddaddy was created. And I think it was made for one reason, to produce fruit, just like you and I are made for one reason, to produce fruit in season and out. And in that moment of cosmic frustration, he curses the tree, and it begins to wither and die. This is Monday morning. He walks back down and into the city, and when he comes into here, he finds people who are not bearing fruit for God. And he's frustrated. And there's a moment of cosmic frustration when he turns over the money changers' tables. He's made it about this far into the city. Luke chapter 19, verse 46 says this, The scriptures declare, My temple will be a house of prayer, but y'all have turned it into a den of thieves, and he's angry. It's righteous indignation. 
Well, he leaves that space Monday. He goes back to our map. He leaves the city, and he walks back the same way, and he spends the night here. Tuesday morning, day three, gets up. They're walking along the way. They see that the fig tree is withered at its roots. Jesus stops. He pauses, and he gives a teaching to his disciples on the power of faith, mountain-moving kind of faith. There's a whole other sermon there. I don't have time to address that today. They walk back down into the city. They go back into the temple, and Jesus there has this confrontation with the religious leaders. This is Tuesday morning. That same afternoon, by the way, these same religious leaders have a blunt conversation with Judas. And a plot is hatched. In the middle of this, I bet this was the beginning of that conversation, Jesus started calling them names. Matthew chapter 23, verse 24, he says, blind guides. These are the spiritual leaders. Blind guides. For you're like whitewashed tombs. You're pretty on the outside, filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but on the inside, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And then he calls them another name. Snakes. Sons of vipers. How will you escape the judgment of hell? Well, that was awful bright and chipper. He walks out of the Temple Mount, probably through the same gate, the Golden Gate, the Eastern Gate. Let's put the map back up again. He walks over here to this Mount of Olives. He literally takes a seat, a stone's throw away from some, get this, whitewashed tombs. And he teaches. Probably the same time that Judas is hatching a plot over here against Jesus, one of Jesus' own followers, one of his 12 disciples, Jesus is teaching the crowds over here. We know it as the Olivet Discourse. He preaches a powerful sermon. This is Tuesday afternoon. They walk up then and they spend the night over here. Wednesday. The Bible doesn't talk much about Wednesday. We assume they're making preparations on Wednesday over here in Bethany for the the Lord's Supper, as we're going to learn to know it. They call it the Passover. That celebration is going to happen the next day. Likely also on Wednesday, I bet there are some honest and good conversations. Because what had happened in Bethany, not too awful long before this, Jesus stood in front of a grave, and he shouted, Lazarus, come forth. And the people who witnessed this saw a dead man. A dead man walk out of a grave. Jesus has the power over life and death. I bet, I bet that got talked about on Wednesday. Thursday. I'm going to blur Thursday and Friday and then even Saturday, Sunday together just a little bit. I want you to see the, the movement from east to west that happens during this week, the Passion Week. Thursday finds Jesus. And his disciples, including Judas, gathered together in the upper room. It's right over in this space. They celebrate the Passover meal. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. He models servant leadership. Including, he washes that traitor's feet, Judas, who two days before had been plotting over here to the east. They've moved west He has some honest conversations with them. John 17, read that priestly prayer. Oh, my goodness, he prays for them. He prays for you and me. They leave that space after this conversation. 
He says in Luke 22, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now, I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he leaves that space in the upper room. Let's go back to our map. He walks through the Kidron Valley over here to this commercial olive press called Gethsemane. Gethsemane. And there he prays, and he's in anguish. The text actually says in Luke chapter 22, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And then Judas shows up with a small army. And they carry Jesus. Let's go back to our map from east to west. He's got a mock trial over in this part of the city, over in this part of the city. They bounce him back over here to the Antonia Fortress. He's bounced back and forth between Pilate and Herod. But if you look at it, generally speaking, Jesus moves from east to west progressively through that week. Friday finds him outside the city walls at the place of the skull, Golgotha, Calvary. There are seven statements from the cross of Christ, including the first. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. His last statement from the cross, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That happens, let's go back to our map, on the west side of town. And when that happens, it impacts everything, even to the east. The temple curtain is torn from top to bottom. The sky grows black as the night. It's midday, but the sky grows dark. Generally speaking, Jesus moves from east to west. Our first crowdsourced affirmation, our first crowdsourced praise had a question and an answer. The second one I want to show you has two answers in it. Let's look at this. Blessed is the king of Israel. Here's one of the answers. Implicit questions asked. Answering, he wants to be my king. Jesus wants to be my king, and he wants to be yours as well, and he wants to be yours as well. How many of you own a king-sized bed? Let me see your hands. Me too. When we first got married, Don and I had a queen-sized bed. Nope. We traded up at some point for a king-size bed. And I just learned something this past week that I didn't know until just now. I've always been curious. I've just never taken the time to look it up. Have you ever heard the phrase California king? Honestly, how many of you know the difference between an eastern king-size bed and a California king-size bed? How many of you know that difference? Well, you're smarter than me. I did not know until this last week when I looked it up. Basically... A California king, they're similar real estate. Here's the difference. Let's see, we've got uh, 6,080 square inches for the eastern king-size bed and 6,048 square inches for the California king-size bed. A California king is longer and narrower. Eastern king bed is shorter this way. There's less foot room, but there's wider space. In other words, an eastern king-size bed is not as good for cuddling. Sweetheart, we came to church Sunday morning. The pastor's talking about cuddling in bed. What is going on here? Well, it's the Sunday before Easter. I can get away with that today. Seriously, a California king is better for snuggling. So for intimacy reasons, could I suggest to you a move from east to west is a good thing? 
If you want to cuddle more with your, your spouse, downgrade, downgrade from the eastern king, get you a California king. Similarly, Jesus, the other answer in here, Jesus wants less space between us. He wants less space between my heart and his. What the adoring crowd didn't know yet. And what the shouting, menacing crowd later in the week on Friday who shouted crucify him couldn't comprehend. Jesus' move away from them toward the cross was an intentional movement to be closer to their hearts. I'll give you a second to absorb the truth of that statement. So what do you do with that? Can I give you some investment advice? Choose the California king. Make the move with Jesus from east to west. In the area of intimacy with your Savior, create less space between you and invest more. Here's some relational advice. It works. We talked about grace marriage earlier. It works in marriage, it works in parenting, it works definitely in your investment, your time with Jesus. Consistently investing small amounts of time or even large amounts of time over a long period of time will have an extraordinary payoff in your relationship. That works in your marriage, it works in your parenting, it works in your relationships with friends, it works with Jesus. Here's the third crowd-sourced praise, the third crowd-sourced affirmation that they shout. This one has an answer and a question. Remember what they shout is, Hosanna, which literally means pray, save us. We need salvation. Save us. Save us how? Well, here's an answer. To save me from myself. I don't know about you. But the times I need a Savior, whether it's jumping off of a cliff too high to swim in the water below or running too far away from my parents when I was a child or playing Frogger on the road, I don't know, the times I need a Savior, it's usually to save me from myself. It's something I did. I need all the help I can get. I'm not the brightest. I was reminded of this as I was traveling from east to west. I told you about a trip I took a couple of weeks ago. I'm on the plane. Plane takes off. I'm doing the, hey, who are you, and here's who I am with my seatmates. I realized in that moment I was filled, to, I was with a plane, in a plane that was filled to the brim with spring breakers. College kids coming back from spring break including the guy behind me who just would not stop playing with that seat back thing, that tray, just flap, 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 flap through the whole flight. I just, yeah, that's not what I want to talk about. I got out my phone and I snapped a photo of the wing of the plane as I'm flying back. This coyote followed me all the way from Colorado. I'm having a conversation with my seatmates. Come to find out one of them is an undergrad student at IU Bloomington. I said, ah, I've got a kid there. My seat, I'm sitting in the window seat. Right next to me is a gal who's a grad student at Purdue. Smarty pants. I asked her, what's your major? She answers with this, quantum optics. How many of you know what that is? 
I didn't, I still don't know what that is. I've looked it up. I even listened to her explanation. She told me what it was. I am not tracking at all. Actually, at one point, I've got my laptop out. I'm working, I think, on a sermon. I'm doing a Greek word study. It's all Greek to me, right? I'm sure she glanced over at that and thought, that's weird. I took a, a picture with my phone. I don't think she caught me taking this picture. This is the photo that I captured. Now, you might not be able to see it, but there are scribbles on her paper here. The whole computer screen was filled with... I think they're equations. I didn't see an equal sign, so I don't know how you move stuff back and forth across it. I don't know exactly what that is. I didn't understand it. Oh, did I feel dumb. Hosanna, pray, save us. Usually, what I need saved for, because I'm too dumb to figure it out, I need saved from myself. What do you get when you combine a sovereign God, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent? What do you get when you combine that God with a personal Savior? You get Jesus. You get the man who is God, who knows exactly what Peter will need to restore him here in a moment. You get the man who is God, who knows exactly what the women who run to discover an empty tomb need to comfort and inspire them. As a matter of fact, each person in his east to west journey through the week gets exactly what they seek. The biblical story, if you read it this week, you're going to see exactly what I'm talking about. The question gets answered that we started with, how far is the east from the west? Pray, save us. Save me from myself. How far is the east from the west? And the answer is quick, exactly how far he needs to travel to redeem you, to redeem me. And the good news, as we read the Bible story this week, he's already closed the distance. All you need to do is turn around. We've been asking some questions, and there have been some answers implied. Let's put them up on the screen right now. Why is Jesus here? Well, he wants to be my king. Why? To save me from myself. But check this out. This is also what happens. Why is Jesus here? Well, he's moving from east to west. Quite literally through that week, he's moving from east to west. He wants less space between us. All the way to the cross is how far he moves. How far is the east from the west? Oh, from Bethany, the Mount of Olives, to Golgotha, the place of the skull. It's exactly how far he needs to move to redeem me and to redeem you. The word I see all through this story is this word, movement. Movement. Jesus leads movement all through the week. And the key application step, if we're looking to apply this this week, and I sure hope you are, here's the application step. Move closer to him. Are you? It's simple, but it's profound. You could apply this principle every day of your life, by the way, every step you take. Ask yourself the question, am I moving closer to Jesus or am I eastern bound? Am I moving farther away? Am I moving from east to west with him? Or is there a step this way into sin? 
Is there a step into adventure following him, or maybe it's a step into routine away from him? How far is the east from the west? What's well, how far it took for him to remove your sin? There's key characters in this story. If you read this passage, if you read the stories in the Passion Week, you're going to see it. I could share with you several characters, but I've only got time for a couple. Real quick, let's put our map up again. Peter. There's a moment when, when Peter is following Jesus, traveling east to west. And he takes some steps over here in the courtyard during Jesus' trial. He takes some steps away from Jesus. Were you with him? No, I've never seen the man. And Jesus tracks him down not long after that and gently restores him. Three times Peter denies Jesus. Three times Jesus affirms Peter. Judas, oh my goodness. Judas follows Jesus from east to west. There's a detour on Tuesday over here. Thursday night finds him with Jesus, with the rest of the disciples. Jesus just washed his feet. The Lord's Supper happens. He shares in the first communion service. Don't miss this point. You could be physically near to Jesus. And at the same time, you can be miles apart. How close do you choose to be with him today? Emotionally, spiritually, Judas moves then actually from west to east. He takes a step backwards. Oh, he brings a small army. Let's go back to our map. He brings a small army to arrest Jesus over here. And then ironically, he takes a journey to the west to hang himself down in this part of the city. We see here remorse, but not repentance. As you journey east to west, don't stop at remorse on your way to repentance. I feel bad for my sins, but I don't repent. Don't stop there. Turn around. Go the other direction. You might even say it this way. You make a move. Let's put that up on the screen. We're asking the question. The next slide. We're saying you're, you're, Jesus is here to lead a movement. Move closer to him. You make a move. Read the story. Pick a gospel this week. Read movement from east to west. Evaluate your own directional velocity. Ask yourself the question, am I moving from east to west? By the way, there's nothing magical about moving, geographically speaking, east to west. The only thing that makes it significant in this story is that's the direction that Jesus is moving. Are you moving with him? Am I on a journey with my Savior? By the way, both of these are selfish in a good way. Do some good soul searching, but don't leave it to selfishness. Number three, bring somebody along. In your journey from east to west, your journey to get closer to your Savior, bring somebody with you. That's why we've got those invitations. That's why we have the strategy of your one. We want to go after that in a big way. We've got truth. We want to share it. Have you ever heard of the Golden Gate Bridge? As we land the plane today, that part of the country has always intrigued me. Gorgeous. If you've never been there, we took our kids there years ago. It was pretty cool. Windy, pretty cool. I read a story this past week about when they named the Golden Gate Gap there. 
It was named by a dude who stood there and he looked out across the vast sea. Remember, this is mid-1800s. Westward expansion has been a big deal in our country, moving capitalism from one side of the country to the other. Progress in business. And this businessman looked out across the sea and he said, it's a golden gate to trade with the Orient. We're going to take the almighty dollar and move west with it. Could I encourage you? Man, we have something that's so much better than the dollar. It transcends this life to the life to come. By the way, let me put the golden gate back up on the the screen. The eastern gate that Jesus rode through. Jewish thinkers, first century, second century, third century, early Christian thinkers even, had this, this story that circulated that when Jesus comes back, they looked at the Old Testament, they pulled some passages out of Zechariah, and they said, we, we think he's going to come through the eastern gate. People lived looking forward to that. There are people who lived even in fear of that. Even the gentleman who conquered the Holy Land, conquered Jerusalem about five or 600 years ago, an Arab man, they started burying their dead here. Why? Because the Jewish thinkers said, well, a rabbi will never walk through a graveyard. He thought, ah, I can keep him from coming back and taking the city from me by starting a graveyard there. He didn't know our Jesus. Jesus has the power to beat Satan, sin, death, and hell. The grave couldn't hold him. He's alive, and we sit on that truth. And I hope this week, as you lead into that devotional opportunity, you move with him from east to west. We pray with me? God, we bow our heads and we close our eyes, and we recognize that you are sovereign God who moves through even physical space and time that we just read about to move people closer to yourself. Right now, Lord, we take a step. We take a step closer to be near you in our own hearts even today. And it's your name in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand up with me? Let's.